Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today is Friday, May 14th, 2021. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from the Turkey Leg Hut here in Houston, Texas. Right here in the trade, Third Ward, uh, where Houston Mayor Sylvester Turner uh, is going to be joining us. They're actually doing free COVID vaccine shots out here. So we'll be talking with him about that. We'll also be talking with uh, Pastor Cosby, uh, of course, who leads uh, uh, Willow Avenue Baptist Church about gentrification and how they are staying in the hood to transform one of Houston's most historic black neighborhoods. Also uh, on today's show, authorities in South Carolina, they have released troubling, shocking, and stunning video of a black man killed by uh, jail officials. The family, just a few moments ago, announced a settlement of $10 million uh, with the city. Folks, we got to show you that, plus the San Diego Police Department 
They're investigating uh, two of its officers who were caught on tape while repeatedly punching a black man during an arrest. In Georgia, the state Supreme Court ruled that if police perform an unlawful arrest, the person being arrested can essentially fight back. Oh, yeah, we got to tell you about that. And in Mississippi, a court of appeals ruled that a 38 year old black man must remain in prison to serve his life sentence for marijuana possession. That's the Jim Crow stuff happening in Mississippi. Also, we'll talk with R. Chang, who is running for mayor of New York City. Plus, a black Republican lieutenant governor candidate in Virginia says critical race theory is nonsense. So is she. And in our Education Matters segment, the state of Tennessee has said the Tennessee State University has been grossly underfunded by nearly half a billion dollars. We'll give you those details. Folks, it is time to bring the funk. H-Town style. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Folks, we are in Houston, Texas, of course, right here at uh, the world-famous Turkey Leg Hut uh, restaurant. Folks, it is one of uh, the hottest restaurants in the city of Houston. Uh, as Corey goes on down the sidewalk here, we are on Almeda Road here in uh, Houston, uh, Texas, the third ward, known as the Trey. You'll see how packed uh, this restaurant is. It is always packed seven days a week. Uh, we're broadcasting live from out here because the city of Houston, they're actually doing free COVID-19 vaccine shots. Uh, we're going to be joined by the mayor of Houston, uh, my alpha brother, Sylvester Turner, uh, in today's show. And so we're looking forward to that. We'll also be joined by uh, Pastor Marcus Cosby, uh, who leads the historic Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church here in Third Ward, uh, talking about the transformation they are undergoing with their new facility and how they're doing things differently here uh, in Third Ward as well. And so we've been here since Wednesday. Uh, and so uh, certainly glad... Uh, uh, to see all of you here uh, on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Yes, I'm wearing my Jack Yates High School hat. Uh, Jack Yates, of course, not far from here uh, in the in the historic Third Ward uh, here in Houston, Texas. A lot of stuff, uh, folks, that we want to cover uh, on today's show. But first, we're going to open in South Carolina, uh, where officials there released video late last night of a young black man named uh, Jamie Sutherland, folks, Jamal Sutherland, who was viciously beaten and killed by jail officials. Uh, this took place January 5th, 2021. Uh, he experienced a mental crisis uh, in the sheriff's department. Uh, he died in the Al Cannon Detention Center a few hours after being arrested for what? A misdemeanor assault charge. Uh, uh, so last night, the Charleston County Sheriff's Office released uh, this video footage Folks, let me warn you right now, it is shocking, it is disturbing, and this has led to a settlement with this family that was announced moments ago. We carried this live on Roland Martin Unfiltered, a settlement of $10 million. 
And so I'm going to hold five more seconds. If you want to turn away, please do so. But this is absolutely, folks, disturbing video. Control room, play it. Get down again. Get down, Sullivan. Get down. Control room. 37E, SMU. 37E, SMU. Turn on your stomach. Turn on your stomach. Turn on your stomach. Hey, you're going to get another one. Come to the door. Slide 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 to the Keep coming. Sullivan. Keep moving. Keep sliding. Let me go. No, stay down. And slide. Stay down and slide. What's the meaning of this? What is it? Keep coming. Keep coming. Hey, turn on your stomach. Turn on your stomach. Turn on your stomach. Turn on your stomach. For what? Turn on your stomach. That's why I'm turning. Keep going. Oh, I'm doing it. Get out of here, because he's still got food. That's why I'm turning. Sorry. You're out of position. I'm out of position. Stop, stop. Stop. He's still got food in you. Loosen up. Loosen up. Oh, sir. Hey. Charleston, South Carolina, uh, Mayor Keith Summey released a video a Wednesday detailing the role that the Charleston Police Department played in the arrest of Sutherland. Watch this. It is with great sadness that I speak to you about the death of Jamal Sutherland. Like many of you, I have seen the recent news coverage and believe it is in the community's best interest to understand what happened. While the city's involvement ended the day prior to Jamal's passing, I can at least shed light on the city of North Charleston's interactions. Jamal died at the Charleston County Jail on January the 5th, 2021, 
a day after North Charleston released him into the custody of the Sheriff's Department. I know that Sheriff Graziano is reviewing her staff's involvement. North Charleston's review is, obviously, centered on the actions of the North Charleston police officers. Our police department's encounter with Jamal ended the previous day when we turned him over safe to the jail staff. Nonetheless, I want the people of North Charleston to see how our officers treated Jamal and understand why he was taken into custody. Charleston County 911 dispatched officers from our department to Palmetto Behavioral Health on the evening of January 4th. Officers were told that a large-scale fight had erupted among patients and staff and that staff urgently needed help from law enforcement. I want you to hear this for yourself so you can understand why North Charleston Police Department responded. Here are the first moments of the call made to dispatch. Now one. Hey, it's two seven 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 Spicer Drive, North Charleston two nine four zero five. Tell me exactly what happened. Uh, we have uh, committed patients in a, the a psychiatric hospital. One has assaulted several patients, and they're they're asking to press charges, and now he's trying to assault more people. In a later clip, you hear Palmetto staff report that people are in danger, and hear the situation inside Palmetto start to deteriorate. Are you anyone else in danger right now? Several people are in danger right now. Yes, ma'am. What's going on now, Alyssa? Uh, another patient has come to this unit and is trying to fight other patients. We need that. We need help. Yes, ma'am. So there's two patients that's fighting right now? Several patients are fighting right now. Yes, ma'am. We do have a responder in route, okay? Shortly thereafter, the scene becomes even more chaotic. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so we've separated the two primary patients, but um, I don't know how long it will last. He's very big. Okay. We have about eight staff trying to hold him back. Whoa! Okay, so he's assaulted a staff member now. He needs to go. Oh, oh he's assaulting another staff member. Given the mass fight that had just occurred inside Palmetto, leaving Jamal at Palmetto or taking him to some other unsecured facility was not a safe option for patients or staff. North Charleston Police had a responsibility to deliver Jamal safely from Palmetto to the jail. That is exactly what they did. Prior to transporting Jamal to jail, our officers took the time to ask all the questions that you would want them to ask. They talked to Palmetto's behavioral staff to understand exactly what had happened. That Jamal guy tried to come across the unit, so we had a code with him. We got him kind of like calmed down, and then lo and behold, he started punching people on the other unit. Yeah, 
he got one guy twice real good in the face. We tried to block, break him up. We got him kind of over to the corner, and another patient was trying to take up with one of the patients that got hit, so he popped him in the face twice. They also specifically ask about whether the victims wanted to have Jamal arrested or prosecuted. Of key importance here, recognizing that Jamal had mental issues and was in custody of Palmetto Behavioral Health, our officers specifically asked both Palmetto and Charleston County EMS if it was appropriate for Jamal to be taken to the jail. This is what North Charleston Police Department was told by Palmetto. So Jamal came across the counter and like through the um, fax machine, all that kind of stuff. And we finally got him kind of contained. And then um, one of our staff members tried to get Jamal kind of like hold him and he went at him and, and attacked him. So it was like freaking chaos. It was one thing happened and then something else happened and then something else happened. So the people who hand. got punched, are they staff members? Two of them are patients. One hit two patients. Jamal assaulted a staff member. Okay, staff, staff want to press charges? And we got to see the yeah, patients. Yeah, one the of two patients, and they're pretty adamant about wanting to press charges. So I can get their addresses for you if that's we what you need. We need all their information, and we need to know. We need to talk to them. We need to make sure they want to press charges. And by Charleston County EMS. Yeah, because he just told me to get F out of his face. He doesn't want to talk to me. <laughs> no, Please don't eat that. Yeah. Are those court committals or anything? Or He's committed. I imagine that Jamal is committed as well. Okay. So I think, yeah. I think so how does great. that work, Chief? So if they're on papers, how does that work to go to the jail? They can go to the jail. They just have to stay in custody of somebody. And that's where the, the, the issue lies. Uh, is they have the ultimate say because they've been put into their care in terms of for medical treatment. Yeah. So if they wanted them transported someplace, they have to make sure it's set up with whatever facility that they're gonna accept them if they, if they went to the hospital. But as long as they're in police custody one way or another, then they're covered because they're a committal of the court. So they're still in, custody, in somebody's custody. Okay. We, we just can't let them walk out or let them go where, whatever hospital they no, wanna go to. As you hear, Palmetto and Charleston County EMS indicated that jail was an appropriate destination our officers transported him there. It is worth noting that Charleston County Jail has dedicated medical facilities on site for inmates. In fact, you will see in the next clip that a jail nurse was already in the intake area at the time our officers brought Jamal in. Let go! Relax. Let go of me! Right, now! Right. I need my medicine! But the Illuminati is after me because I'm talented. Something you not. That's why you're working here. Thank you. It's a real serious matter. The elite been watching me. They probably flying over this fucking jail right stay, now. You gotta stay by the wall, man. Please. Have fun. Thank you. You'll see that when our officers last had Jamal in sight, he was healthy and being accompanied by a nurse as he went into the jail. It brings me sorrow to know that Jamal passed away the following day on January the 5th, but I am relieved that video and audio exist to let us 
see the respect and patience that North Charleston police officers displayed that night. While Jamal's family continues to grieve his passing, I hope our recordings of the interaction gives the family and the community confidence in the way we conducted ourselves. The family of Jamal Sutherland also made a public statement, and here's what they had to say with the release of today, uh, last night's video. I'd like to thank the leadership in our state that have come out to help. I appreciate everyone. But what I want to say is that because of some things that are being put out, I feel like Jamal died yesterday. We were at a point where our hearts were content that Jamal was in heaven. But we have people now saying and doing things that they should not be doing because they're not aware of the situation. I'm gonna tell you about my son, Jamal. Jamal was the second of our three kids. He was a man of God. We had somebody, a cousin of mine go in his room and she goes, why he has so many religious books? Because he wanted to learn about God. Mental illness does not give anybody the right to put their hands on my child. That's my child. I love my child. His brother and his fathers, they love Jamal. Jamal was good. I had 16 surgeries. Jamal never left my side. Even when he was going to the mental hospital, he wanted to make sure that his mom was all right. And I asked God to please, please have mercy on some of these people that are doing things that aren't right for a family that's grieving. Jamal's body is not an invitation for a circus. When you put these tapes, remember, he is a human being. He's not an animal. He was treated like one, but that's not who Jamal was. Jamal gave away everything he had. He would do anything for people. Jamal was a great, great, great son. He loved his father, and he told his father how much he loved him. He has two brothers. He loved his brothers. Jamal would give you the clothes off of his back because that's how I trained all of my children. Jamal was an example of what I wanted him to be. He died, and when he was being tased, pepper sprayed, he's hollering, hallelujah. If you don't hear what the tape is saying, my son's saying, hallelujah. They're handcuffing my son. He's hollering, hallelujah. How many men you know hollering hallelujah when they're going to jail. Jamal had enough sense to say, you didn't read me my rights. He may have been mentally ill, but he was brilliant. Jamal made music and gave it away. Jamal was an example of what we should want all our young men to be, black, white, purple, or green. I'm not gonna stand before anybody and say anything that I don't know for sure, and I ask you to do the same. Respect my family. Know that hurt has not gone away. It's still in us. We waited patiently. We waited 
for the tape to be released. People are saying that we didn't want to speak. I wanted to speak the day he died. But I can tell you something I didn't know. I did not know. Now that I know, now that I know how my baby died, I'm proud of him. Mentally ill, still able to say, thank you, Jesus, take care of me. I want y'all to know, Jamal was a great man. He had faults like everybody else, but he was a great man. And I just want you to know that. If I could bring him back, I'd leave. I would leave this earth for Jamal to come back to me. I cried so many days, come back. He's not coming back. And I'm content that God has Jamal in his arms. So please, don't make a circus of my baby's death. I don't need people out here reading lies. I don't need that. You destroy families when you do that. If you don't know, you are destroying the inside of us. You don't know him, but you're telling somebody else about it. Please keep your conversations to what you know. I don't want any violence in my city. I want us to view this tape and I want us to learn what we don't want happening again. I ask no violence. White, purple, green. We have black men being killed every day. I mean every day. I didn't want to watch it and Jamal didn't watch it because it hurt our soul. Please no more hurt from media parties because they don't know him. And if you don't know him, please don't speak of him because he was a great man. That was a great man. And I'm gonna leave you with that. Jamal Sutherland was a great man. And there are some people that know they need to do things and they're not doing it. So I ask those of you who knew your part in my son's murder to do the right thing. Please do the right thing. Thank you. All right, folks, man, that's quite emotional there. Let's go to uh, my panel. Uh, D. Hawkins Hagler, former Georgia State Representative, Michael Imhotep, host of the African History Network, and Brittany Lee Lewis, political analyst. Uh, D., I want to start with you. Uh, obviously, extremely emotional. You clearly saw the folks in Charleston. Uh, they knew that this was going to be a devastating video. Uh, everything I heard last night from people, they said this is going to be ugly. Uh, they, they're, they're concerned about protest. It's a PGA tournament in Charleston, South Carolina on next week. Uh, and folks there are bracing themselves for a weekend of protest. Well, that was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, we, after watching that video, and I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't want to watch it the first time, but I did watch it this time when you showed it. Uh, it literally was just heartbreaking. And I know I grew up around mental illness. My mother was a psychiatric nurse uh, for many years. And during that time, there was a way that you could restrain people who uh, were having psychotic breaks. And I don't think that uh, the behavior system in Charleston nor the police department handled this the right way. Even if they thought he was a threat, they could have taken him, um, if necessary, to another facility, uh, to a hospital for a 40 or 72 hour stay. I don't know what happened right here, but they didn't want us to see the final version because they knew that the public would be outraged. And so uh, 
Um, my heart just goes out to the family. And enough is enough. We have got to stop killing black men. The thing here, Brittany, and this is what we talk about here. Here's a young man arrested on a misdemeanor charge. Now you talk about mental illness. We keep going over this over and over and over again. This is what happens when you have to confront law enforcement, when they deal with people who are mentally ill. He's now dead. Absolutely, Roland. And it's unfortunate that we continue to run into these issues time and time again. And the, and the fact is that individuals with mental illness are vastly overrepresented in every corner of the criminal justice system. And until we reform the public policies that have literally abandoned them there, these tragic outcomes will continue. You know, statistically speaking, people with untreated mental illness are 16 times more likely to be killed during a police encounter than others. You know, quite frankly, I believe this is just one of the many examples demonstrating yet again that we need to not only defund the police, but allocate that money to training professionals that solely deal with these type of situations. Having a mental health breakdown, having a mental health crisis should not be an automatic death sentence. You know, and if we can't do that, we need to at least reduce the number of encounters between on-duty law enforcement and individuals with the most severe psychiatric diseases. You know, the thing, Michael, uh, we, we, we talk about this all the time. Here we are in Houston, uh, and right. we were at the Pamela Turner rally yesterday. Black woman, Baytown, Texas, uh, two years ago, shot and killed five times by a cop, having a mental breakdown. And at some right. point, mayors, county officials, state leaders, congressional leaders are going to have to come to grips with the problem of a mental illness and law enforcement that is too combustible. There are too many people who are ending up dead who are having mental breakdowns. I still think about Kojima Powell, the brother who was killed two weeks after Michael Brown. Same thing. It was 16 seconds from the moment the cops showed up and shots were fired and he was dead. Yeah, you know, um, Roland, we see this time and time again, and, um, you know, I, I definitely agree in, in many of these, it was approximately 18,500 police departments across the country, and in many of these police departments, you, you're going to have to reduce the responsibilities and reallocate resources, and mental health is one of the areas that resources need to go into, mental health, education, different things like this that will overall reduce poverty but also reduce crime. But in, in reviewing this in reviewing this this case here, uh well, number one, um Jamal Sutherland was uh diagnosed bipolar, uh with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia in his teens. So he was receiving treatment. But um uh, the pathologist says that the cause of death or the manner of death was undetermined. I kind of find that strange. How did he actually die? In reading this, the pathologist said the manner of death was undetermined. Uh, and then also, I, I watched the entire video and the uh, the presentation from uh, Mayor Summy. Um, did the officers involved in arresting uh, Jamal did did the officers have any mental health training? Because he's 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 having a mental breakdown. And did they have any? I'm trying to find out. Did they have any mental health training as uh, as well? So you know, this is a this is a, a a troubling case for a number of different reasons. 
Um, it certainly is, uh, and it, it is beyond sad. We're going to be watching to see uh, what happens this weekend, if you're going to see protests there. Again, uh, folks in this Charleston are concerned. Look, folks, they always want the positive attention of a PGA tournament next week, but the bottom line is uh, this is a young man who's dead. they got to pay out $10 million. And, folks, let me remind you, remember, we talk about North Charleston. This is the same place where Michael Slager shot and killed Walter Scott. Slager's now sitting in prison. And so another uh, just shameful, shameful uh, story that we have to cover. Let's go to San Diego with the San Diego Police Department, folks. Uh, they have launched an internal investigation after video was shown of two officers repeatedly punching a black man during an arrest this week. Now, according to the department, folks, this all began when the officers saw this man urinating in public. They detained him when he did not respond to them and booked him on jail on charges of resisting arrest and battery of a police officer. I mean, again, again, Brittany, this is the thing that that we every time we do one of these stories, the first thing you say is, how did it all start? Yeah. Okay, so you saw a guy urinating in public. Uh, or a misdemeanor charge, or you pull somebody over for a traffic light. I mean, th- this is this is what people are talking about. How you have to have police who de-escalate and not escalate. Roland, you hit the nail on the head. I'm thinking about how this started for urinating, urinating. They didn't try to de-escalate the situation whatsoever, and that man didn't go out looking for a problem with them or looking to harm those officers. Yet he ended up brutalized and then in prison. Now, Roland. 
I went to Temple University for undergrad and folks loved to party there. There used to be white frat parties every night and those same frat bros would go right outside on Broad Street and urinate for everyone to see, oftentimes underage with their beers still in hand. And you and I both know that this would not have happened to one of them. So what's exhausting is that this isn't about urinating in public, it's about a constant criminalization of the homeless. And at the end of the day, the homeless are a part of our community too. So the police, if they're truly to be protecting and serving, should be protecting mm -hmm. and serving the homeless mm -hmm. as well because they're a part of our community. Yeah. And, and I, I just feel like, can you imagine what our world would be like if the police just helped this man instead of actually harming him? Um, Michael, again, this is the thing that... that, that what people are demanding, they're demanding real accountability. And you got to have cops who know, again, not, you know, not to escalate, who understand that. And there are examples of it. But the problem is there's too many tough guys uh, who are walking around with badges and guns who don't like it when someone questions their authority. And, and then they know, oh, I could beat the hell out of them and I'm going to get commended. Yeah, especially when it's someone who appears to be homeless as well, when it appears to be somebody who's marginalized, has less resources, you feel that they have less recourse to retaliate against you. They don't know the mayor. They don't play golf with the police chief, things like this, right? You you, you have things like this to take place. But it, for it to start from urinating in public and then the one of the officers uh, questioned him, he would not stop. Uh, therefore, one of the officers held him to detain him. It's just to, to, to escalate to something like this. I'm like, how, how many white people do, do you all stop because they're urinating in public? OK, I know if they have the country music festival or the hold down or things like this, like we have here in, in, in Detroit. I know you have white people urinating in public. I've seen them do it here in Detroit. So, uh, you know, once again, this is this is an example why some people don't need to be police as well. You know, something like this is ridiculous to, 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 to escalate from from urinating in public. Uh, it, it, you know, this doesn't make any sense. They. I, I concur with everyone. This behavior was absolutely criminal, what they did to this homeless man. And it just it just speaks to why so many of us around this country want to reform policing. I mean, it needs to go from an area of policing to public safety. And was he doing anything that was uh, going to stop the public from being safe? No, he needed to use the restroom. And he's homeless. And many homeless people also deal with mental illness, which all these things are tied together. I mean, this is just absolutely ridiculous. And this is why we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And we need to have real conversations in our state legislatures, in our municipal governments about how we deal with policing and make them do the right thing and stop just every week going through this over and over. It's a cycle. It's, and it's, you know what? It's over, it's overrated. It's, it's, it's too much and it's enough. We got to stop. It's too much. They need to go to jail. Both of them. Uh Folks, let's talk about this story here that uh, I don't know how this is going to go well, but it may cause some problems. The Georgia Supreme Court, they have ruled that if police perform an unlawful arrest, the person being arrested can essentially fight back. The ruling stems from an Athens man named Christopher Glenn, who was unlawfully arrested in 2018. Police arrested him while he was walking home because they received a call someone was loitering. Glenn wasn't. 
when officers attempted to arrest him, Glenn headbutted one of the officers and got on top of another. His case went all the way to the Georgia Supreme Court, where based on English laws from the 1700s, the judges ruled that Glenn was within his rights to fight back because he was unlawfully detained. The ruling could have a significant impact on how unlawful arrest cases are defended in Georgia. Um, I'm not necessarily, uh, Brittany, going to recommend black folks try this one. I don't know if Christopher's white or black, but I'm just saying, you know, first of all, determining what's unlawful, what isn't. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying I'm going to be a little careful with this one if I'm black in Georgia. Exactly. You know, Roland, that was my first thought. I'm like, who's Glenn? Is Glenn white or black? Because, you know, the situation just wouldn't go down like that with us. I, I love the idea of us being able to exercise our constitutional rights and legally resist um, if we're allowed to. However, Lord knows we watch, first off, we watch white folks resist every day, whether it's law or not. But we know with us, black folks, unfortunately, we lose our lives on a regular basis when we're complying. Um, so I'm certainly not going to tell us to go out here and start resisting arrest because we know we're being illegally detained. Um, I wish, I wish we could do what the law said we should be able to do. But we know that's not how it works with us. Well, and I want to say this here, uh, D. Uh, look, I, I, I know Georgia Supreme Court made this ruling, but you got to start first with who the hell decides what's unlawful or not. Uh, exactly, and I only, since I live in Georgia, I can I can assure you, if they try to arrest me, I'm going to go to jail and deal with it on the back end because they would kill my black behind. So I, I I I just need everybody not to pay that any attention. And now that it is being uh, out in the public, I can assure you, the Georgia General Assembly is going to go back in and rescind that law because they're not right. want black people trying to resist uh, uh, being arrested. Watch what happens. Uh, yeah, Michael, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm going to warn everybody black, brothers and sisters in Georgia, y'all might want to ignore the Supreme Court ruling. I don't think this one applies to us. Uh, it, brother, it's, I'm, it, you know. I'm, I'm I, not I, trying I, to do I, another story of somebody black who's killed. I, I need to brush up on my law in England in the 1700s, but, uh, I, <laughs> and, read, and reading this rolling, not only does it, does it say, that in this case here, not only did Judge Supreme Court rule that uh, Glenn was within his rights to resist the unlawful arrest, but they also ruled that he could also damage government property while doing so. Uh, black people, don't try this at home. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. You know, and, 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 and the other gray area is, okay, how do you determine what an unlawful arrest is? You know, because certain things that we see and we say this is unlawful, but when you get to court, it may not be unlawful. So, uh, you know, at the very least, we need more clarification on this. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I, I want to know uh, is I want to know the ethnicity, the race of Glenn, because I think he's white. I, I, I don't think this <laughs> I don't think this was meant for us. <laughs> you keep in mind, just keep in mind, Georgia is the state that has the largest Confederate monument in this country. It's called Stone Mountain. OK, I don't think this was meant for us. Like I say, I, I'm trying to check right now to see, uh, but I don't think Christopher Glenn uh, is a brother, so so we'll see. <laughs> Let me talk about this case out of Mississippi. That may, if y'all want to understand why Mississippi is so backwards, this explains it. A court of appeals in, in Mississippi has ruled that a 38-year-old black man must remain in prison to serve as life sentence for marijuana possession. 
This week, Alan Russell argued on appeal that the length of his sentence constitutes cruel and unusual punishment. He was sentenced to life in prison in 2019 after a jury convicted him of possessing more than 30 grams of marijuana. Since Russell pleaded guilty to burglary in 2004 and has a possession of a firearm charge, he's considered a violent, habitual offender in Mississippi. And under Mississippi law, a person convicted of two separate felonies, at least one of which is violent, and who serves at least one year in prison for each of those felony convictions, shall be sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility for probation or parole. Uh, this was a deed. This was a it was a similar thing that happened in Louisiana, where they had that same law, uh, and uh, and and the ruling was made there as well. And this is one of those things. This goes back to Jim Crow days, Mississippi, Louisiana having these type of laws that were specifically targeting black people. And this is if Mississippi wants to understand why they broke as hell and why businesses don't want to move there, it's silly laws like this here that you will spend that much money to imprison a 38-year-old man for life for marijuana possession. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, especially, but let, let's just look at the whole totality of everything. Marijuana is going to be legalized in this country. So you already have this man serving time for, uh, what is it? Bad, no, robbery, um, which was not a, a deadly uh, violent law, correct? Because I'm, I'm reading right. And then now, because he had marijuana, I mean, really, I'm telling you, this whole system in this country needs to be reformed because many people, if you go to their house, they might be having about 30 grams of marijuana, depending on where you are growing in the backyard right now, because uh, once hemp became legal, now people are doing THC. And I think this is crazy, and it's targeted towards black people because we all know that cocaine never had this type of attention. And had he used any other type of drugs, uh, he, he probably would even be in jail because any drug that white people typically use have not been criminalized to that extent, only black people. Well, and the thing here, uh, Brittany, if you are Mississippi, what y'all should be doing, y'all should be uh, trying to sit here uh, and get in marijuana business because the state's broke. They, they get more federal money than any other state in the country. They need to be trying to get in on the billions of the marijuana business. Absolutely, Roland. This, the, Mississippi is ass backwards. Um, <laughs> I mean, when we think about this, I, I feel awful for this gentleman because, quite frankly, it is cruel and unusual punishment. And, and we know this law isn't about fairness. It's about power. And, you know, <laughs> marijuana is going to be made... Uh, legal for everyone nationally. We have 16 states that have legalized recreational marijuana, and we have 36 states that have legalized it for medical use. We have dispensaries that are running like Apple stores, and we have white women on a daily basis talking about how they smoke their weed in order to help with their parenting duties at home regularly. So the simple fact that this man is looking at a life sentence over some marijuana charge and a, bur and a burglary charge he's already done time for is absolutely ridiculous and unfair, and I hope Mississippi gets its act together. Well, Michael, bottom line is this here. Uh, Mississippi uh, is, a, is a Jim Crow state. They just took the Confederate flag off off of the, their state flag. Uh, mm -hmm. Look, there are a lot of folks I love in Mississippi. I got lots of fans there. Uh, but it's a damn shame what continues to happen uh, in that state.
Well, you know, Roland, this also deals with the importance of state legislatures because it was the state legislature in 2014 that changed the law in the state that allowed this to happen. See, 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 we're being attacked by the state legislatures. We see this with voting rights and 361 uh, voter restriction bills and 47 state legislatures. But they, all different types of bills like this, we see what's going on with critical race theory, which I know we're going to talk about, and different states banning that, even though there's no widespread effort to institute uh, critical race theory teaching in schools and et cetera. So, uh, but this is, you know, this is crazy, man. And we have to understand, you know, but Mississippi, this is the state that had the largest number of lynchings. From 1882 to uh, 1968, there's something like 581 lynchings in, in, in Mississippi. So, uh, once again, this deals with the really the importance of understanding the state legislature and putting the right people in the state legislature to change these laws like this as well. But um, uh, if marijuana becomes legal in uh, the, state, the state of Mississippi, man, th this brother should be released from prison oh. also. Yeah, but here's the deal, though. This is also, look, Mississippi has the largest number of black elected officials in the country, the largest percentage of African-Americans mm -hmm. in the country, uh, and it is it is an oppressive state uh, for African-Americans. Mm -hmm. uh, folks, let's talk about oppressive. The Republican Party, they continue uh, to try to deny uh, women of color when it comes to serving the Department of Justice. Uh, Christian Clark, who was being nominated by President Joe Biden to run the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice, did not get any Republican votes in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, it went 11 to 11. It now goes onto the full floor. Senator Chuck Schumer, uh, the uh, Democrats and the majority leader, said is going to be advancing her nomination if confirmed. She be the first black woman uh, ever uh, to be confirmed for the position. No word uh, on whether or not uh, Senator Joe Manchin is going to vote for her, uh, if, if any Republicans are going to vote for her uh, as well. And so Republicans continue to criticize her uh, for her record. Uh, they also claim her editorial in Newsweek, I prosecuted police killings, defund the police, but be strategic, advocated abolishing the police. In fact, she's actually talked about reforming the police uh, and said the magazine selected the headline, uh, not her. Uh, and so we'll be watching to see if Senator Chuck Schumer uh, sends her nomination to uh, the full floor uh, for them to vote. Now, the thing that we've been watching also, folks, are these Republicans who want to completely act like January 6th never happened. Uh, the House, excuse me, the uh, Republicans and the Democrats have agreed uh, to create a special committee similar to the 9-11 uh, committee that will investigate what took place on January 6th. But here's the problem with that. The problem is the there's going to be a Democratic chair, Republican vice chair. They have to agree on issuing subpoenas. Well, hell, the Republicans uh, don't agree. We know exactly what the problems are going to be. Uh, we know what took place. Uh, Republicans led an insurrection of the U.S. Capitol uh, because they did not want President Joe Biden to be confirmed as president of the United States. Uh, if y'all want to see how uh, stuck on stupid these people are, listen to Andrew Clyde, this idiot from D state of Georgia. Y'all, he actually said this during the congressional hearing. So we're going to play this for you, uh, folks. So we're going to play it for you of what he had to say where he acted as if the insurrection was a walk in the park and folks were just chilling and relaxing and everything was wonderful. Uh, and so uh, let me know where y'all have the video. Uh, D, I wanna, I'll, I'll go to you before we play the, 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 the clip from Andrew Clyde. I mean, look, does Georgia have a, a corner on crazy members? You got this dude, Andrew Clyde. You got Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, it has to be a consistent embarrassment uh, for folks in Georgia to have these idiots in Congress. I am like my grandmother used to say, I'm so shamed. I, sometimes I just hate to tell people I'm from Georgia. Between 
you know, suppressing voting rights, to people trying to be revisionists of history, uh, you know, until March 13, and then, you know, K and I. I don't even know what to do with all these, these whacked out people that are in Georgia. It's really quite embarrassing. And this is why we have to change all of the leadership from the top to the bottom. Uh, congressional and every constitutional officer in Georgia needs to go because they're all white, crazy, behind Republicans. And this is what you get every single time uh, that they are at the forefront. Because everyone can clearly see. So they're basically saying what your lying eyes have shown you. Oh, no, it was just a tourist visit. Oh, no. I don't know what y'all saw. They were just coming by to check out their, you know, nation's capital lies, all lies, and the lies, liars who tell them. Uh, again, I mean, look, we, we've been sitting here uh, listening to these crazies, and they are indeed crazy. Uh, it, it makes no sense to me whatsoever uh, to listen to uh, how fanatical uh, and, and, and silly uh, these folks are. Uh, and, and like I say, this guy, Andrew Clyde, uh, I mean, you're talking about just shake, just 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 shaking the head. Uh, and so um, so so we got the clip. Let's play it. It's called the Capitol Insurrection. Let's be honest with the American people. It was not an insurrection, and we cannot call it that and be truthful. The Cambridge English Dictionary defines an insurrection as, and I quote, an organized attempt by a group of people to defeat their government and take control of their country, usually by violence. And then from the Century Dictionary, the act of rising against civil authority or government re governmental restraint, specifically the armed resistance of a number of persons to the power of the state. As one of the members who stayed in the Capitol and on the House floor, who, with other Republican colleagues, helped barricade the door until almost 3 p.m. that day from the mob who tried to enter, I can tell you the House floor was never breached and it was not an insurrection. This is the truth. There was an undisciplined mob. There were some rioters and some who committed acts of vandalism. But let me be clear, there was no insurrection and to call it an insurrection, in my opinion, is a bold-faced lie. Watching the TV footage of those who entered the Capitol and walked through Statuary Hall showed people in an orderly fashion staying between the stanchions and ropes taking videos and pictures. You know, if you didn't know the TV footage was a video from January the 6th, you would actually think it was a normal tourist visit. There were no firearms confiscated from anyone who breached the Capitol. Also, the only shot fired on January the 6th was from a Capitol Police officer who killed an unarmed protester, Ashley Babbitt, in what will probably be, eventually, be determined to be a needless display of lethal force. Camera up. This hearing is called the Capitol. Here's how Democrats respond to that fool. Uh, Congressman uh, Jim McGovern of Massachusetts says, I was there that day, Representative Clyde, presiding over the House chamber while we were being evacuated. I saw people punching the glass doors with bare fists to get in, desecrating America's capital to obstruct Congress. Calling it a normal tourist visit is sickening. Shame on you. Uh, Congressman Don Byer from Virginia, a normal tourist visit? Police officers who responded on January 6th were stabbed, gouged, beaten, suffered broken ribs. Y'all should be pulling these uh, tweets up. And there are no longer, th and three are no longer with us. Republican leaders defend this kind of lying while they punish those few with the courage to tell the truth. It's despicable. Uh, Congressman Catherine Clark, Republicans aren't just trying to rewrite history. They're telling you not to believe your eyes or trust what you saw. Look at the videos. Listen to the staff and officers. Read the death certificates. The insurrection was anything but normal, and it won't be erased. Folks, 
how crazy this is? Clyde was attending an event honoring police officers and was asked to clarify his statements about what he says didn't happen on January 6th. He said this. Okay, I don't know. We, we should have the sound bite there. Uh, Brittany, these folks are liars. I keep saying that if they're going to lie about this here, any Republican who lies about January 6th should be defeated in uh, twenty twenty uh, next year, 2022. You cannot trust any of these people in leadership. They need to be defeated. On a state level, federal level, they all should be voted out of office. Roland, we have to get them out because I don't know what in the cognitive dissonance is going on, but we all know what we saw. The insurrection on January 6th was on the front page of every newspaper worldwide because it was not just some normal tourist visit. That's not what makes international headlines. This was crazy. There was nooses. People were injured. Someone did die. Several folks have been indicted on serious federal charges. I mean... But you know what? I'm actually not surprised by Representative Clyburn's remarks, knowing that he was one of the 126 Republican members to contest the election results. That's his game. He also was one of the 12 Republicans in the House who voted against H.R. 1085 to award those congressional gold medals um, to the United States po uh, Capitol Police who pr uh, protected the U.S. Capitol when it happened. So, I mean, he's got to he's got to stick to what he knows he's, or what he's pretending to know anyway. Uh, look, uh, it, it makes no sense to me, Michael. Uh, but again, these people, you cannot trust any of them in leadership. And for the folks who say voting doesn't matter, we got to vote every single one of these idiots out because they are acting, acting as if what happened on January 6th was no big deal. And if that's the case, uh, they're going to, they're going to, they, they absolutely, if they take control of the House by 2024, they will mm -hmm. try to steal the election. That will absolutely. happen. Absolutely, brother. You know, white supremacy is a powerful drug, Roland. You're dealing with the white nationalist party. This is exactly who they are. The, the, the hoods have come, all the hoods have come off. This is the white nationalist party. And there were 100, there were approximately 140 uh, uh, police officers that were injured uh, that day, January 6th, the day of the insurrection. So for uh, Representative Andrew Clyde of Georgia, once again, Georgia has the largest Confederate monument in this country. Okay, for for him to say that uh, if you didn't if you didn't know it was from January 6th, you think it was a normal tourist uh, video. I would call it a terrorist video. You're close. It's not a tourist video. It looked like a terrorist video. Okay, and uh, so th this is a, another example why elections have consequences, and all these traitors have to be voted out of office because if you look at the policies that they're advocating for. They're detrimental to African Americans and and, and not and many non-white people. Okay, they're detrimental to us. You you just look at the uh, about thirty of them tried to uh, they're trying to get two bills passed in the uh, in the House of Representatives to, to target uh, critical race theory and things like the sixteen nineteen project that that uh, they uh, uh, unveiled that on Wednesday. Now they're going to be defeated in the House, luckily because Democrats are in control. But what happens if uh, uh, Republicans uh, win in the House in the twenty twenty two midterm election? So yeah, brother, we're dealing with we're dealing with the crazies. This is the QAnon white nationalist party. We're dealing with the crazies, and that's and and, and that's why folks absolutely have to vote. Uh, panel, I certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much uh, for joining us today, uh, Dee Dee, Brittany, and Michael. Thank you so uh, very much, folks. Got to go to commercial break. When we come back, we're going to be chatting with this man right here. Uh, he is the mayor of the city of Houston. He is going to be joining us next. Uh, we'll also be talking with uh, a mayoral candidate out of New York City, R. Chang. He'll be joining us as well. We are broadcasting live from Houston, Texas, here at the uh, Turkey Leg Hut. It is jam-packed as always. Uh, and so... 
Uh, this is Roland Martin on Filcher. Always glad to be back home in H-Town, and we'll glad bring it to you folks. We'll be back in a moment. That as of January 20th, that President Trump will be president. That depends on what happens on Wednesday. President Trump won this election. Do you think the election was stolen? Absolutely. At this point, we do not know who has prevailed in the election. This fraud was systemic, and I dare say it was effective. This is a contested election. President Trump won by a landslide. The outcome of our presidential election is seized from the hands of voters. We have to make sure that they look into what has been the theft of this presidential election. Joe Biden lost and President Trump won. Whatever happens to President Trump, he is still the elected president. I would love to see this election overturned. No one believes that this guy got 80 million votes. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't look right. No ragtag group of liberal activists will be allowed to steal this election. The president wasn't defeated by huge numbers. In fact, he may not have been defeated at all. Over the next 10 days, we get to see the ballots that are fraudulent. And if we're wrong, we will be made fools of. Black women are fierce, brilliant, courageous, dope. Black women are making a difference, making history, and changing the world. I think about all of the black women who have showed up to fight for justice. We are starting to finally accept all the skills and talents a woman can bring to the table. Urban One, thank you. This one is so special. What's up, y'all? I'm Will Pack. I'm Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hi, y'all. Hi, y'all. We're here at the Turkey Leg Hut, uh, and so we were um, uh, we're back live. We were taking a photo here first, you know. So my brother Reginald stepped over here. Then we, so we were taking a picture of the mayor. He's an alpha. Uh, then of course, uh, then Paul. We got Pastor Cosby. So you know, his, his alpha's all over the joint. So we just want to let y'all know uh, how we roll for the rest of y'all out there who couldn't get in. That ain't our problem. <laughs> that ain't our problem. So I want to let y'all know that that ain't our problem. But it's all good. Uh, and so okay, y'all gotta go now. I gotta give you the mayor. Yeah, y'all gotta go now. Y'all yeah, y'all y'all got on. Y'all got on, huh? Girl, you better go on over there with that me by me stuff. Uh-uh. That's this an alpha thing. Go on over there with that stuff. Uh, yo, we are here in my hometown of, of Houston. We're joined right now by the mayor of Houston in his second term, Sylvester Turner. Doc, how you doing? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Glad to see you here. Hey, man. Welcome, welcome back to your hometown. I'm always, it's always good to be back home in the tray in Third Ward. Uh, we're here. And so uh, we were trying to get you on Wednesday. And then uh, when Mary, Mary said, hey, y'all are going to be here doing COVID vaccine shots. Yeah, man. I said, well, let's go ahead and, and, and do the show here. Look, we brought the mobile unit to where the traffic is. And instead of the big setups where you have a lot of staff there waiting for people to come. Yep. We decided to come to the Turkey Leg Hut, where there's plenty of traffic. 
make it real accessible to people. Yep. People are getting vaccinated. You bring it to them to where they are. And then, quite frankly, they peers help to encourage people to get vaccinated. Well, see, this is what, this is about to trip you out. So my company, we've actually put in proposals with several states. Texas was one of them. Maryland. We were trying to tell, we were trying to tell HHS. We were trying to tell others as well. Uh, this is how to do it. Yeah. And, you know, they kept sitting here. They kept sitting here, you know, doing what they normally did. And we were like, folks, I'm trying to tell y'all. It works. I said, we can do, like, this This literal setup, we can explain them. We can do live broadcasts from places. Right. Do COVID shots. All sorts of different stuff along those lines. And, and they were so hard-headed. And then when I hit that wall a few weeks ago, I sent an email to HHS saying, look, we tried to tell y'all. It works. You go to where the people are. Right. So we're going to the restaurants. Man, I'm going to the clubs and the bars with my mobile units. You know, you go to where the people are and just and people are getting right. vaccinated. Right. You know? And then the owner is graciously giving a discount on their meals and stuff. So uh, you just and, and we're talking about young folk, you know, brothers and sisters who are saying, OK, you're here. We're going to get vaccinated. We'll wait for the 15 minutes and then we'll get right back into the line and get our food. You know, and the thing is, look, there are a lot of people, and, 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 and the point that I've been saying to folks is that the early on it was like, oh, black people uh, don't want to take it. No, it's the white Republicans don't want to take it. Right. Black folks, the problem was they didn't know how to access it. Absolutely. I, I, my, uh, my, my CFO in Chicago, she said she went to a Walmart on a deep, deep south side of Chicago. She said it was 200 folks in line, 10 black people. She said, now, these white folks, they never had this Walmart. <laughs> She was like, so, but, but again, how the system was set up, uh, and, and this is where, again, for the folks who are in power, listen to people who know how to reach people. Who've been out on the streets, on the grounds, you know, on the front lines. You know, look, you're being here, you're attracting folk, folk already here. And, and people say, hey, this is cool. You know, y'all coming out, y'all coming to where we are. We like that. We like that. And then people... They, they are literally, they will stop, get the vaccine, be vaccinated, That's right. and go on right about their business. That's right. They are safer, we are safer, and then they're going spreading the word. Hey, they at the turkey leg hut. Go on down, down and get a turkey leg and get the shot at the same time. <laughs> and they putting a discount on the meal. You can't, can't beat that. You can't beat can't it, beat man. that. Let's, let's talk about, uh, you're in your second term. Uh, and th this restaurant is a perfect example. First of all, this entire corridor here. Yeah. Uh, I'm born and raised here, and, and I remember where th that was nothing, uh, you know, down here on Almeda. But before I was born, Almeda was uh, the drag, drag strip of year for, for yeah. African Americans. And so now all of a sudden you, you, you see this resurgence, but this is a black-owned establishment. Yes. And you're seeing other black-owned places as all well. And, 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 and that's, that's important because uh, this was land that, frankly, my folks did not want to come near, didn't want to li live anywhere. And so it's important that we stay where we are, but also become business owners and investing Absolutely. in the area and cities partner to keep these black entrepreneurs to build the capacity. And you see what's happening. You know, this this restaurant has attracted a lot of uh, activity. The overflow is benefiting other businesses. And now other black owned businesses that were here, they are starting to thrive even more. And then other entrepreneurs are coming into the area. And now the Amida Court is now dynamic, is alive and well. And, and, and basically what we're trying to do now is provide more parking, okay, or encouraging people to take advantage of the, uh, 
uh, the Ubers and the Lyfts and all of that. Uh, but this is a dynamic corridor. Six years ago, Roland, as you know, right? you come down Alameda. Yeah, actually about five or six years ago, there's a sports bar that's a little bit further down here. Right. And it was one of the few places. I came back uh, from my high school. We came back, and I came down, and it was one of the few places that that, that, that was open. It was pretty much by itself. And so then coming back home each time, it's kind of like, wow, this spot, this spot. And now now when I come home and back, uh, Anthony and I, we were driving around last night, I was like, where did that come from? Where did that come from? And, and, and again, it, it's about creating opportunities because the thing is this here. And Houston is a, is a city that a lot of people slept up. Everybody talks about Atlanta. Right. And I remember years ago, Black Enterprise did uh, a, a cover story on, on Houston. Right. And there were like 700,000 plus African Americans. TSU, Prairie View, right. 50 miles down the road. And so black folks grow up here, go to college here, stay home here. Now you have multi-generations building the city. And I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, you know, I just want the rest of the world to know and the business community to know. There are more black folk right here in the city of Houston than in Atlanta, okay? And in many, many ways, as one person told me, Houston is the new Atlanta, you know, especially in the Southwest. You know, I love Atlanta, beautiful place. Uh, Mayor Keisha Bottoms has done a wonderful job there, and I love, I respect her dearly. But I also want to know that, want people to know that when it comes to investing, you need to come and take a look at the city of Houston. This is the most diverse city in the United States. And things are happening, positive things are happening in this city. And and not just on Almeda, but we are trying to replicate this model in other parts of the city as well. On the north side, on the northeast area. You know, there used to be um, on Jensen. Jensen, one point in time in northeast, was thriving. Yep. We need, we're working to bring that back. The same thing with West Montgomery and Little York on the northwest side in Acres Home, my part of town, mm -hmm. so to speak. We're working to bring it back. And so... Uh, you know, want people to sometimes corporate America, they get fixated on either one person or one city, and they assume that's where everybody, you know, is. Right. But look, there are opportunities all over the country. And that's one of the messages that I'm trying to carry forward as now the president of African American Marriage Association. Look at the different cities around the country and invest in these cities, large and small, and you'll see what can, the potential that can flow from it. Let's talk about that. We talk about uh, the, the Black Mayors Association. Uh, that was that was a name change. It was a reorganization. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a shift. And the thing that there's, there's so much attention that's on Congress, President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris. Right. Uh, but what people don't understand, the ability of mayors and city councils to directly control dollars, to be able to create the economic opportunities. Right to transform neighborhoods and cities, that's really where the power is. We're the engines. We're the engines of the state. We're the engine of the country. And mayors are front and center. We're on the front line. When it comes to minority uh, women business opportunities, we are the ones that are dispersing those dollars. We are the ones that are helping to create entrepreneurs and expand their capacity, giving them the opportunities. When the monies are flowing directly, let's say from the federal level, directly to the cities, we are making sure that they get that, to go that last mile of the way. And oftentimes when the Fed, and I've said this to, to congresspersons, when you send money to the state 
and then you expect it to come down. All the time, it doesn't come down. Especially, especially, let's just go ahead and say it. And, and like and, the state and, of Texas. And, and, and you serve in the Texas legislature. The reality is where you have these states, where you have Republicans who are controlling these states, uh, and look, the money is not coming it's to not the city. It's not getting here. And in fact, we see what's happening where in Austin, and the same thing happened in Georgia, where they pass a bill, first, which kills me, they love talking about local control <laughs> and the small government, but they want to pass a bill telling you how to spend your money when it comes to police department. In the state I, of I'm sorry. That's I, crazy. I, I thought they believed in local control. Only when they are in control. Okay? It's local only when they are in control. When they lose control, it's no longer state. It's no longer local control. It's the state trying to preempt local control. And, and I'll say it. They're targeting also black-run cities. And that is true. No, and I'll say it as well because those are the realities. And you really have to speak truth to the situation. So I'm not trying to trying to color code anything or be nuanced. In many of the cities, in many of the cities that are being run by people of color, now people at the state level are doing everything they can to preempt, to control the flow of the dollars, to run your departments, run your police department, run my public works department, taking over our assets and then trying to direct those dollars you know, back up to the state level and trying to bankrupt. And then they take the position where you see what's happening. They don't know how to run their cities. Well, right. if you are controlling the flow of the dollars and trying to preempt and take over our, uh, our ability to run our cities, then what do you expect to do? In fact, the Republicans in Georgia, they have been, tra they've tra they've been trying they have been wanting to take over the control of the airport for a long, for a time. long time. Because let, let, I'll say, the white folks in Georgia are still mad at Maynard Jackson for, for what he did because using that airport became the economic engine that created economic opportunities for black folks. And they still are trying. And, 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 and that's where I keep arguing. And I got people out there that I was talking about, man, you keep talking about voting. I'm sitting here saying you can't talk about change our community, change our right. neighborhood, let's have economic development, uh, let's, let's, let, let, let's, let's redevelop, if you don't control the policy. And that is very true. Y it ain't going to happen. It's a, it's a non-secular. And Maynard Jackson is one of, my, one of my role models, somebody who said, look, until you integrate the dollars, these planes are not moving off, off this. It's not going to happen. He said tumbleweed will be rolling well, down the runways. And then the change came about. And so... Mayors today are still looking at how Maynard Jackson ran Atlanta and the change that came about. And now, you know, it's, it's, it's all happening on our watch, and we have the responsibility to do the same thing. And that is to make sure that the dollars that are flowing through our city are done so as fully integrated, where the diversity of our cities is, is reflected through the economic interest that's taking place in our city. Last question for you, sure. and that is this here. Um, there is, you're dealing with voter suppression in this state, you do the whole battle. Uh, and there's somebody, there's somebody who's watching, they're like, okay, man, I, I hear all of that. Uh, look into that camera there and talk to that brother or sister to explain to them why every time they vote in that, in that school board, city council, county commission, state rep, state race matters, but also, why you need to see them coming down the city hall after the election. Well, let me tell you, elections matter, and who you elect matters. If you are concerned about the murder of George Floyd and you don't want that repeated, 
Just understand that the policymakers, the people who bring about the reforms, got there from the ballot box. And if you don't elect the right people there, don't expect the right policies to come from that. And if your vote did not matter, why would there be over 360 bills being filed in 47 states to restrict your right to vote, to, uh, to deny your right to vote, to suppress your vote, to intimidate your vote, if your vote did not matter? What we do, for example, as mayors across the street, directly impact what takes place in your community, in, um, in your neighborhood, at your house. And so it's important for you, after you cast your vote, uh, to vote in elections, it's also important for you to show up at City Hall to lend your support. Look, the voting process is 24-7. It's not just one day or two weeks. It's 24 to 7, 365 days of the week. And if you want the change, you got to be the change that you want to see. Mayor Sylvester Turner, well-spoken. Thanks, My man. alpha brother, my Church Without Walls church member. Love you, I man. I appreciate it, sir. I, I was glad to be back home. It's, look, I want you to stay here. Well, I, look, I, look, I want to, I want to, I want to come back home. In fact, uh, somebody, one of one of my colleagues, she was talking about uh, y'all were trying to do some initiative, uh, utilizing tax incentives to keep to do media stuff. And she yes. called me and she said, Roland, they're trying to do that something." She said, "What you think about it?" I said, "Oh yeah, I'll think about it." I said, "I said, I, I said, I'll think about moving New Vision Media home." We want you to stay. The goal, man. I've got two and a half years to go, and we're gonna work all the way to the to the end. But the point is, is to create opportunities in this city uh, that can benefit not only the people in this city, but quite frankly, even beyond this city. And it's not about being an incrementalist. And I tell anybody, if, if I wanted to be an incrementalist as a mayor, I may as well go home. You do a little bit and nobody sees a little bit that you do. This is an opportunity. This is a time where you have to be transformational in your leadership. You do have to be bold in your leadership. And you can't be afraid to speak the truth, no matter who it may offend. All right. Keep swinging, my brother. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thank Thanks you. so much. Good to see you. All right. Hey, Take folks, got to go to commercial break. We come back. We're going to talk with R. Chang, who's running for mayor of New York City. We'll also talk about HBCU funding in Tennessee. They've been, they've been shorting Tennessee State nearly half a billion dollars. We'll discuss it. We'll talk with a state rep there. Also, Marcus Cosby, pastor of Willow Avenue Baptist Church, who's doing some amazing things, keep, keeping them in the hood. We're going to talk to him. Also, Cora Coleman, drummer for Beyonce and Prince. I'm going to chat with her as well, as well as a brother who owns uh, the Turkey uh, Turkey Leg Hut. Y'all, we got a jam-packed show for you in the second half of Rolling Mart Unfiltered. I'm here in my hometown. I'll be back in a moment. The Lonely the alienated, the sad, and the angry. In every country torn by strife, violence, and hardship, men and women are drawn to extremist leaders, promising to take on the enemies of their people. In America, some of our lost souls respond in a similar way to the call of influential voices. But instead of militant preachers or radical clerics, every single night in America, they can listen to our own angry advocates of division and conspiracy. Confused, angry people hear the call of these voices and take on the camouflage of warriors to threaten and even kill civilians. The radicalized Republican Party and the twisted people on TV who speak for them use the very same language of intolerance and rage to provoke those alienated people. 
actively pouring kerosene on the fire of social unrest. And until we all reject these poisonous voices, the result will inevitably be escalating violence and tragedy. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. Y'all, that food looks absolutely fantastic. Trust me, they're going to be bringing my... Uh, my plate over in just a second here. And so I'm looking forward to having uh, that smoked turkey. All right, folks, uh, they're about to have a news conference with the mayor right here, but I'm going to be asking some questions. And so control room, the way we're going to do this whole thing, y'all just simply, uh, when I toss to the uh, to the guests, just just kill the uh, kill my audio. Uh, uh, we, we talked to Mayor uh, Sylvester Turner. Art Chang is trying to become the next mayor of New York City. Uh, we've already had a couple of candidates on. He joins us right now. Art, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. That, by the way, that turkey looks amazing. Oh, uh, first of all, is but I can only come here one time when I come home <laughs> because it destroys in, in, any meal plan that you are on. Uh, and so glad to have you here, Art. First and foremost, uh, it's a huge group of people who are running for mayor in New York City. How do you break through? Well, let's explain what the job of the mayor is. I mean, I think that's a really critical piece here that no one's really talking about. I mean, New York City is one of the most important places in the entire world. Its economy alone would put it in the top 15 of all countries if New York City were a country. The budget for the city is larger than all but four states. If New York City were a corporation, we'd be in the top 35 by budget, and we'd be in the top 15 by the number of employees. New York City is incredibly important. And so who do you want to actually manage this? Right? Is it someone who actually has, knows city government? Yes, you do, and that would be me. Or state government, who has actually made change happen in government, but also somebody who can actually work across to the private sector, who has a long track record in the private sector, and working in many areas that are important to the city, like technology, like education, um, and like you know small business. Um, and I think I'm very uniquely positioned among all those areas. And and but but again, now you're dealing with money, you're dealing with name ID, you're dealing with all of those different things that uh, that go into it. But also, y'all have ranked voting, and so that means that it's not always about getting that first vote; it's getting the other votes as well. And so, what is your strategy uh, to 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 build your build your way to victory that way? Absolutely. So, you know, my goal is not to be number one and solely number one, but to appeal to a broad group of people who are fed up with the way it has been. You know, we have um, a few folks who are running who have been career politicians. Um, we have a current mayor who is a great disappointment, who has been a career politician. So we see what happens with that. We have a num number of really fine people who have spent their entire careers in government. So we'll see if that works. And then we have a couple people who spent their careers only in the private sector. We'll see if that works. So the city, so there's a chance here not to be the number one person, to be the big man, but to actually be the person who is ranked number two or three across as many 
RCV ballots as possible. And that's really the path to victory. Um, and I think there's a very clear lane for me. You know, New York undecided New York City voters, you know, depending on the poll, are from 25 to 50 percent of all voters, which say to me that they are dissatisfied with the current choices. Uh, last question for you. Last question for you, Art. We, look, you got about six weeks. You got about six yes. weeks. Uh, and so, um, what? What? Are, how? How are you going to be pushing uh, in these six weeks uh, to get to as many sectors as possible? But specifically, what are you going to say to African American voters why you should be their pick? Well, you know, I'm obviously not African American. But with the one thing I am is I was well. I have an unusual story. You know, I was born in Jim Crow Atlanta in 1963, at a time when Asian immigration was illegal. I moved to Akron, Ohio, to an all-white school district where I felt racism on the street, and I grew up in a domestic violence household. You know, I lived with the civil rights movement. You know, the civil rights movement is what enabled Asians to become citizens in this country, to forge a path forward, to watch what happened and to follow in the footsteps of great black people, great black leaders who practiced, you know, peaceful disobedience and protested and found political power and forged a path to make a difference, not just for themselves, but for everybody else, because we know the civil rights movement didn't just enable Asians to immigrate to the U.S. The civil rights movement also paved the way for women's equality and equality for and gender equality. You know, it is a basis upon which uh, equality is formed in this country. In my own experience, I've lived in New York City since 1985. I lived my entire time here in Brooklyn uh, for all but two years. And um, I am very, very familiar with all the communities that black people live in in the city. And I'm very familiar with hardship. Um, I've been through that hardship with racism and violence. Uh, but I've also been through that hardship just in the life that I've had here in New York. You know, I know the feeling of not being able to pay the rent of not having enough money for food, of losing everything and having to lift myself up off the ground. And that's what we have to do here over and over again. And I bring a unique set of tools from technology and business and tech and technology with the, with the goal to restore equity for everybody. I'm the only candidate here who has actually started multiple small businesses in this city. And so when I know the importance of economic growth and the connection to education is, you know, for everybody here in the city. All right, Art Chang, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much for joining us here on Roller Mart Unfiltered. Good luck. Hey, thank you so much for having me. All right, then. Thank you very much, sir. Folks, let's talk about HBCU funding. Uh, a committee in Tennessee uh, has determined uh, that there is uh, massive, massive underfunding uh, of Tennessee State. We're talking about to the tunes of upwards of half a billion dollars. They say that since the beginning, Tennessee State has not been properly funded uh, by the state of Tennessee. Uh, this was uh, an amazing, an amazing story. Uh, and this is what they say. When Tennessee State was funded, it was a land-grant institution requiring the state to match the federal money sent to the school every year. But the state has failed to do so since the 1950s. A legislative committee estimated that Tennessee State has lost anywhere from $150 million to $544 million. That's half a billion dollars. 
we, of course, you just recently had the, um, the out of Maryland where the state uh, allocated uh, 570, 500 plus million dollars to the four HBCUs. The Mississippi case, which uh, attorney Alvin Chambliss won, uh, same thing. The funding that was to more than 200 million dollars. Uh, but but this shows you what is going on in these states, how black folks have been shortchanged. Joining us right now is State Representative Harold Love of Nashville, Tennessee. Representative Love, how you doing? Doing well, Brother Martin. Thank you for having me on tonight. Man, what does that say? I mean, and I see this is here. You've had Tennessee State trying to sit here and do the job, have it compete against the University of Tennessee and others, and here they are, never being properly funded. This is an abomination. Sure. And what I want the viewers to understand also is this: not only did Tennessee State not get that five hundred and forty-four million dollars, but every time that the state of Tennessee did not make that match, Tennessee State had to find the funds from reserve funds to make that match, which, which meant that Tennessee State could not properly maintain its building. Tennessee State could not properly provide scholarships for students. Tennessee State could not properly provide salary increases for its faculty. And Tennessee State could not properly put money into its endowment. So it's not just a loss of $544 million from the state, but also that $544 million came from Tennessee State having to fundraising and put it out of its reserves to make that match. So what happens now? Will the state uh, fix this problem? Here's the blessing in this. Tennessee State is in my district. I'm a TSU graduate. My father was in the legislature from 1968 to 1994 and started this study in 1970. And so we really picked up where he left off. And now we have two more meetings of this committee that I'm sharing, which is going to allow us to put together a plan to get this $544 million to increase academic programs, to repair uh, infrastructure that's been damaged, to provide money for scholarships for students, and also to look at increasing faculty pay. And so, Roland, this will really allow us to put together a 10-year plan, and that's why I really like what the state of Maryland did with the legislature, because they gave us a model for how to start this repayment process. Well, I'll tell you, I have been covering these issues for a number of years. Uh, in fact, yesterday, and, 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 and I will be more than happy to connect you with him, uh, at yesterday at the rally uh, we have for Pamela Turner in Baytown, Texas, Alvin Chambliss, the brother who led that successful lawsuit against the state of Mississippi, uh, was there. Uh, and this, I mean, he is one of the foremost experts on HBCU funding. And so we certainly love uh, to connect you because, look, this speaks to the fundamental problems our schools have been facing, which then impacts the education that they receive, but it also impacts the ability to be able to pay uh, HBCU professors uh, fair wages. It it impacts uh, tuition, impacts all of those things. And so this is a huge, huge deal that this committee in Tennessee uh, has has determined. Yes, I would love for you to connect us because, to your point, there are at least 18 other land-grant HBCUs that are probably enduring the same problem where they have not had their state match They've had to dig into their coffers to make the match for decades and are surfing, to your point, of not being able to pay salaries like they would like to, not being able to provide scholarships like they want to, not being able to properly fund their endowment. And so this is a collective effort, and I hope that our committee's work also becomes a model for other HBCU land grants to, to use, but certainly would love that contact with that gentleman so he and I can talk about ways that we can uh, get this done very quickly. 
Uh, well, sir, I'm absolutely going to make that happen, and so we're certainly ha- glad to have you here. If there's anything that we can do, uh, simply let us know. Uh, I know uh, Dr. Glenda Glover well. I was a commencement speaker at Tennessee State uh, a couple of years ago, uh, and in fact, I think the students there have invited me to come back to the campus, uh, and so I look forward to uh, broadcasting Roland Martin Unfiltered uh, from your district at Tennessee State real soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for this. All right. Thanks a bunch. All right, folks, let's talk about what's happening in Virginia. The Republic, thank you very much. The Republicans have put forward a black lieutenant governor who is one of the craziest folks you've ever seen. Y'all watch this here. Uh, she uh, recently went off against critical race theory. The problem is I don't think she even knows what the hell it is. Uh, her name is, um, uh, her name, first of all, uh, just, for, just roll a video. Do y'all have the video? Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, folks. I mean, first of all, here, here's someone who is just outlandish, who's just crazy. Uh, and she even took a photo, y'all, of her holding a gun, of her holding a gun. Uh, my wife sent the photo, uh, Winsome Sears. Yeah, her name is Winsome Sears. Uh, and it's just, it's just it's just crazy. It's just absolutely crazy, and it makes no sense uh, at all. Uh, no sense at all, folks. Uh, let me do this here. Uh, I'm going to go to a break right now, folks. Uh, the folks at the Turkey Leg uh, Hut uh, brought out uh, this uh, unbelievable. I want you all to understand how they do it here. We are in Texas and how they do things big. Uh, this is their, this is their uh, uh, Alfredo uh, sauce turkey leg here. What you will see here, folks, you will see it's one of the, mo- one of the most popular dishes. Uh, you see they have here, y- y'all, uh, it with uh, stuffed uh, dirty rice as well uh, in this turkey leg. Uh, my Lord have mercy, y'all. This is no joke. Uh, but that's how we roll. Y'all know I'm about to re- I'm ready to eat some of this. Uh, but So we're going to go to a break. We come back. Uh, we're going to talk with uh, we're going to talk with the owner of Turkey Leg Hut when we come back uh, about about uh, this monstrosity here. Uh, he he going to explain to me. Matter of fact, you know what? We're not going to take a break. Go ahead. Lynn, sit down. Go ahead. Uh, just take a seat. We ain't going to take a break. We're just going to roll through it. That's, that's how we do it. Uh, good seeing you. Gonna take the mic. Just take a seat right there. Uh, first of all, uh, explain to the, the uh, uh, explain, explain to the, explain to the folks what, 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 what are we looking at? Love, looking at a whole lot of love there, man. <laughs> a whole lot of love. We can't give you everything. So I'd be all right, real smart, know how to cook. So this is all right. So I see shrimp. I got the dirty rice. Cajun rice. I got the turkey leg. Alfredo. Alfredo. Parmesan cheese. Parmesan. Lord have mercy. A whole lot of love. A whole lot of love, baby. Tell everybody, tell everybody about Turkey Leg Hut. Um, your black-owned business here. How did this thing start? Who? Where did this concept come from? Um, me and my wife started out at the rodeo. Hey, y'all, um, g- give me a plate because I, 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 I want to lift, bo- lift that bone up for it. I don't want any- just grab the bone, the I, bone, the I, bone, I, the back end. I, I don't want anybody to think uh, I don't know how to eat. Yeah, uh, but go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Well, we started out at the rodeo, um, and we was out there shuttling cars, people back and forth, and it's crazy. I looked on the ground and saw a turkey leg and saw how. It was so much meat left on the bone when they came back out. And everybody kept coming out saying they were hungry, they were starving, et cetera, et cetera. So me and my wife came together and put a few things together, and, you know, here we go. We're here. When did y'all start, when did y'all start this? 2015. In six years, explain to the folks watching how this thing just has exploded. 
from here, additional restaurants, the food trucks, how folks all over the country come to Houston and trying to come here for one of these turkey legs. They do. Um, it's a blessing. You know, we pray. I tell people all the time, I pray five times a day with my eyes open. You know, people here at five in the morning, some people even sleeping in a line. It's crazy. You know, but, you know, I always say Jehovah willing and consistency wins every time. And we talk about those lines, folks. Y'all need to understand. We are talking about lines. This ain't, this is not always Friday night. Yeah. This, this every day. Every day. Every day. We see about 25 to 30,000 people a week now. 25 to 30,000 a, a week. week. A week. Wow. Even during COVID. Wow. Yeah. Now, a lot of folks don't know your story. You shared it before. Uh, share that with the folks who, who the can understand. Story? Yeah, the real story. For the folk who understand who say, man, I don't know. I don't know if I can make stuff happen. Uh, I, I, I've had issues before. I may have gone to jail. I may have gone into trouble. Um, well, um, you know, I tell it all the time. I don't try to hide it. I'm an eight-time felon, man. You know, my wife held it down for me. I was gone. I went to the federal penitentiary for something that came up out of my past out the blue. While we was in the field, it came back and snuck up on me. Like I said, my wife was from Chicago. This is my backyard right here, man. Right here where George Floyd was. I live one street over from George Floyd on Isabella. Um, grew up in the streets, you know. Met my wife, and we're here. You know, a strong backbone. You know, I always say a strong foundation. And she laid the foundation while I was in the feds. And I always say the analogy is when I said when she picked me up in the sprinter, if you ever ran track, I said stick. I said I got it. And we're here now. You know, a lot of consistency, a lot of love on a daily. And I always say late night, early mornings, you know. Sometimes I'm here 17 hours a day, literally. A whole lot of arguments, you know, it comes with the line of work. You know, I'm not going to sit up and lie and say everything's pretty. You know, a whole lot of everything, it comes with it, but this is what you get. And it hasn't been easy. Corey, do this here. Uh, go ahead uh, and uh, just walk through. I want you to walk through. People are seated. Uh, then walk through also the inside as well because I want them to have a shot of this. Talk about talk about the expansion because, um, look, it, 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 st it started here and then all of a sudden, growing and growing and growing and growing. The mayor was talking about trying to deal with deal deal with the parking issue along here. Y'all been having some battles here. Look, even right there, DeAndre Hopkins passing by. You know, play for the Texans. You get all type of people. Swing the camera around right there, uh, yeah, uh, right. Uh, Anthony. Uh, <laughs> you know. This is third ward. You know, we bringing it back. You know, you can't get this nowhere else in the world, man. I tell people, we're strong in numbers. You know, we've purchased eight properties around here now. You know, and the first time you came, you came on the initial of the smoke with the mesquite. Right. Now you're back here. You know, we beat that, you know. But it's, it's love, For the folks who don't know what he's talking about, neighbors were suing them saying there's too much smoke. We had y'all on the show. They were trying to shut y'all down. They were, they were trying to Most run y'all. They did not like black folks in a black area. In a black, this is the trait. This ain't whatever that little name they have. Yeah, yeah. No, this is third war, y'all. Third war for real. <laughs> and I tell people all the time, you know, this is my backyard. I didn't come over here trying to make some out of it by buying a property and all that. Now we've brought we, my wife and I have bought property now, but we've come over here just trying to get back to the community. And I think when you do right, it comes back to you. Is this also inspiring other black entrepreneurs? Most definitely, man. Places, because I mean, I'm not going to take nothing from Almeida, but I feel like Almeida was a little slow before we got over here. And it we, was. I, I, I'll say it. And we we brought it back to where I feel like I want to make it the biggest trip of Third Ward. You know? Absolutely.
Well, look, it is it has been it has been amazing. What's next? I, mean, well, I, I know folks. We have, been, we, we have Ice House around the corner. Black first black owned Ice House. Uh, Ice House. Ice House. We'll have thirty different beers on tap. First blown black owned Ice House, man. Like I said, in front of D Bar, right around the corner. We open about twenty twenty five days, man. Now I know folks have been trying to get Turkey Lead Hut uh, franchises. I know they've been trying to blow most you de- up. Most definitely. You but looking I, at that? No, we're doing pop ups now. We did a pop up in Fort Worth about three weeks ago. Okay. Did awesome. We're going to the Alamo Dome down in San Antonio about another two weeks. So we're just doing pop-ups now. Okay. All right, so, my brother. Well, man, it's always good to see you. Up, man. You know, always I always got to stop by when I come home. I love to see you. You know, but, but I can only come here one time when I come home. You I need, can't, you, you need to visit more often. It's your backyard. I, but I can't eat more than one of these. It's, yeah. it's one per visit. It's I like when I come one home. One per customer. When I come home, I can go to Whataburger one time, Shipley's one time. And here. And here one time, otherwise I'm going home with an extra 10 pounds. You ain't did nothing wrong. <laughs> and you dropped a lot of weight. Okay, last one. How you lose all this weight? Working. That's 17 hours? <laughs> It'll get you stressing over these customers okay. trying to skip. Okay, well, well, I don't want that stress. Yeah, yeah, good well, stress. Baby, I appreciate it, man. It's love, man. Tell the wife love. I said what's up. I will. Uh, she has man. a baby on the way. We have okay. a baby boy on the way. That's oh, what man, she well, is. congratulations. We have a baby boy on the way, man. Well, so. man, good luck with it. You, man, just keep handling your business. I love the success. And I just love what's happening uh, down this court in my hometown. All love. I appreciate you coming in, man. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, baby. Y'all, I'm going to eat some more of this. I'm going to go to a break real quick. And we're going to come back with Pastor Marcus Cosby right here at Roller Martin Unfiltered from Houston. Back in a moment. Shortly after 9-11... America and its allies went to war in Afghanistan to defeat a terrorist stronghold. We accomplished that mission years ago. Trillions of dollars lost, over 2,000 Americans dead, countless Afghans dead. It's time to get out. Many presidents have tried to end the war in Afghanistan, but President Biden is actually going to do it. And by 9-11, over 20 years after the war was started, The last American soldier will depart, and America's longest war will be over. Promise made, promise kept. My name is Latoya Luckett. Yo, it's your man Deion Cole from Blackish, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Stay woke. This is the year of the woman. We are here. We are capable. My optimism for our future has never been greater than now. Black women are making a difference, making history, and changing the world. Carl Payne pretended to be Roland Martin. Holla! Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, y'all, we're here at Trick Leg Hut. And then Dr. Brenda Banks is with me. Uh-huh. Give me, yeah, he can sneak. Okay, let's do this here. Come right around here. Doc, you hold on right second. We are live on Rollerball Unfiltered. DeAndre, how you doing, my man? Yeah, how y'all doing? All good. I'm going to have you hold this. You say, right, I'm going to have you hold this here. All right, all right. This is how we do the show. I got you. Stuff just happens. We pop in. Yo. Doc, how you doing? Man, I'm doing good. Just, you know, in Houston working out. You know, uh, I enjoy this restaurant right here, man. It's, it's, it's definitely one of the, my favorite restaurants in Houston. Uh, now, y'all know uh, I was one of the folks uh, who was, let's just say, I was quite vocal uh, when he got traded. 
uh, one of the greatest wide receivers uh, in the NFL, period. Ain't even no debate. Don't stop tripping. Uh, but uh, you play in Arizona, but you still love H-Town. Oh, yeah. H-Town treated me like, uh, you know, it treated me like its own since I've been here. I came when I was, I was 20 years old when I came to H-Town. So uh, I was just a little pup. You know, uh, it taught me a lot. Uh, you know, welcome me with open arms, man. I'm from the south. I'm from South Carolina. So, you know, H-Town always felt like home. And uh, I think that's where I'm reside at, man. Well, look, man, we, we, we love that. Uh, we love what you're doing. And also, not just what you're doing on the field, but you do a whole lot uh, off the field, mm -hmm. which is also critically important. And you have no problem, which I love also, speaking your mind when it comes to uh, social issues. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, my mom, she raised me to, you know, be who I am and own that. Uh, you know, we do a lot in the community, my mom and I. I think, that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't don't know that. You know, we don't we don't vocalize it. Uh, you know, we believe you do the Lord's Lord's work. You know, in, in your own name. You know, in your own time. But um, you know, man, you know, vocalizing what what what, what position I have. You know, uh, I think it'll help other kids. You know, growing up watching football, 20 years from now, you know, walk into something where they can be themselves and not have to fight against things that we have to fight against. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, man, uh, anything that we can do, uh, rolling on in the future, we we'll certainly support what you do. Well, thank you. Uh, love your work, uh, man. Appreciate I it. appreciate it. Uh, glad to have you drop in. Uh, you were just driving by <laughs> and Lynn snatched you out the car. Yeah, uh, man. So I appreciate, man, you stopping by and just uh, see us a little bit. Yeah, no, uh, and I'll be problem. sure to make make sure he sends you uh, my information. So, man, okay. hit me anytime you need anything. For sure, love. Thank you. Uh, my brother. I appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Thank all right. You. Well, we gonna, hold it. This is how I love DeAndre. We're going to do this here. See, it's my show, so we can go ahead and take a selfie while we're here. Here we go. There we go. I pop, get on this. Brenda, get on in here. All right. Here we go. I appreciate it, my brother. Thanks so much. You take care. Uh, Y'all, of course, we're here. Of course, they got COVID-19 vaccine shots that they're giving here at Turkey Lake Hut. Turkey Lake Hut. Uh, and you heard the CDC announce their, uh, their changes when it comes to the mask policy. And so my homegirl, Dr. Brenda Banks, she's an uh, anesthesiologist here in Houston. Uh, she, she don't play when it comes to masks. Uh, she and I, we have all these conversations. And so I had to get your thoughts on this. Even though, so the CDC says, even though you've had the shot, you've been vaccinated, unless certain circumstances, don't need to wear the mask. Mm -hmm. You a doctor, what, is, what do you say? Um... I always err on the side of caution as an anesthesiologist. I always have to think of the worst case scenario. So, so are you telling me to put my mask on? I'm saying in this, we're outside. You got to weigh everything. We are outside. I'm vaccinated. And then there are not people around You're me. Fully vaccinated. I'm fully vaccinated. You got to use some common sense and say, okay, I think I'll be all right right now. You I got it. Yeah. I think you're okay without the mask right now. But in general, we still got to be smart. Think about where we are, who we're around right now. You only have, what, 35% of the U.S. population fully vaccinated. So there's people out here walking around who are not fully vaccinated. So I'm going to still keep my mask on. And the problem on. is you don't know. You don't know. You right. don't know. So I would be safe. That's just me. Okay? Gotcha. Okay. But so what you're saying is that so in a situation like this here, even though we're outside, folks are away, then it's not all, all crowded or whatever. Then, and then again, when the mayor was sitting here, I know he's vaccinated. I know DeAndre's vaccinated. Yes. So you know that. Yes. Uh, so in this situation, you're cool. But if we was jammed, like if we're sitting over there and it's jam-packed yes. uh, in there. I don't know if, who's vaccinated. Right. So I don't if, know who's you, breathing on me. If you're not eating, put that mask on. I say be safe. Why play with your health? Why play with it? It's not okay. worth it. All right. I appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, it's good to see you. Good to see you, too. Thanks a bunch. Y'all, she was not supposed to be on the show. I just said, get on over here, uh, and we're going to say a few words with you. And so, uh, yes, you can go. Yes, you, yes, Doc, you're dismissed. You can go. All right, I'm going to talk with uh, Pastor Marcus Cosby, y'all.
Uh, he's a, my alpha brother. Uh, he's also the senior pastor of Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church uh, that's here uh, in uh, Houston, Texas, here in the third ward in the tray. Uh, they are, have always been involved. Uh, pastor uh, Bill Lawson, longtime uh, pastor of the church there, uh, the, the leader of that church. Uh, this is who he passed uh, the legacy on, and he is continuing that legacy. Uh, Frank, glad to see you. Oh, hold on. Get your microphone here. It's my bad. Give that here. Good to see you. Good to be with you. Absolutely. Glad to have you home. The the the, the tray, the third ward is yes, tray, the third ward is changing so much. Yeah. Uh, but unlike a lot of other folks who decided that you know what, you know, we're going to sit here uh, and leave and and take off. Willow Avenue said, no, no, we're going to stay right here in oh, third yeah. ward, right there at Wheeler and Scott. Oh, yeah. uh, you haven't moved. Uh, in fact, uh, Henry, uh, go to the drone here. Uh, I shot this. I shot this earlier. Oh, so folks can see. Uh, y'all, they've expanded. Those of you who come to Houston, y'all know, on that corner right there, that's oh, wow. where the original French's nice. used to be. Uh, but Wheeler always owned that land. Yeah. They moved down the street, building a new facility. Uh, and then uh, y'all have expanded. Uh, the video is about two minutes. Just so let it roll. Uh, tell us about what y'all are doing to stay in Third Ward, stay in this community, uh, to keep um, uh, folks motivated and also driving the issues uh, here uh, in Houston. Yeah. Well, thanks for allowing me to come through and share with you, Roland. It's a joy to see you, of course. Uh, but Wheeler Avenue Baptist Church, as of next month, the 1st of, of June, will be 59 years old. Our church was started on the campus of Texas Southern University. Uh, my predecessor, our founding pastor, Pastor Lawson, was working at Texas Southern at the time, and uh, he decided... Uh, based upon some of the information he had received from citizens in this community, that we needed to have a church here. And so he began that church right there in his living room with 13 people. And so for these 59 years, we've been trying to be a community-based congregation that allows people to know uh, that we have the community in our hearts. We want the best for the community. We want to ensure that there is progress and productivity in the inner city of Houston, Texas. And so we're committed to the inner city, and we're not going to allow anything uh, to shift that. And uh, so even though we're building to expand uh, on what we have become over these last years, we're right here in the hood, and we're going to stay here. Here we go back to the drone shot. Go full yeah. screen, y'all. To the left you're seeing right there, that is Texas Southern University. Yeah. I, want, I want you all to understand what you're seeing. To the right there, that's my high school, Yep, Jack, Jack Yates. Yates High School. Okay, you see the city of downtown is only 10 minutes from uh, the campus and just let it keep going to the right. You'll see uh, you're going to sing it all the way. I'm going to swing it all the way around the drone. Um, you see that's Yates High School. Then you're about to see the University of Houston. And then we're going to come back to where Wheeler Avenue is. So where y'all are seated, I mean, you're sitting. Boom. Uh, Jack Yates right there. Yep. TSU to your left. University of Houston right across the street. Yep. And so that, that gives y'all a, a powerful opportunity to be able to impact this community education-wise. Absolutely, absolutely. And we've been committed to all three of those institutions, especially most so to Jack Yates and Texas Southern. But we have a very good partnership and, and connection with the University of Houston. It has been that way uh, for these 59 years, and we plan for it to continue to be that way. And let's not forget, CUNY Homes is right down the street right. as well. And, uh, of course, uh, we know that George Floyd was reared in the CUNY Homes, and our commitment has been to CUNY Homes as well. So we love being in the community. It's a unique, diverse community. And we love that diversity. Our church is likewise a unique and diverse church. And so we try to maintain that kind of connectivity with those who are around us. Uh, and when we talk about 
gentrification. We talk about how yeah. these neighborhoods are changing. Yeah. Um, Third Ward was changing. Yeah. And uh, there were folks uh, who weren't black who were moving in. All of a sudden, prices were going up. But a lot of black folks here said, no, 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 no. So, we're going to maintain this, and we just, we're going to be owning the land. And uh, there are a number of other churches and the folks who made it clear. Because I, I keep saying this. If we know the land's available, mm-hmm. why are we complaining about others buying the property when we should be buying the property? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we've been com- My predecessor has been committed to community development uh, for the, all the years that he has been in, in Houston, Texas. And so we've made sure uh, that we take the land that we have, the land that is available to us, and we do something with it that will profit the community. So we've been trying to do that uh, for these years, and we are ensuring that all the kinds of organizations and community uh, partners that we have will likewise take care of our community. We need it, and we need it to be well taken care of. So, so speak to some other pastors out there or people who go to churches. And, again, they, we, cause I, I hear all the time, black folks, man, you know, we got to own our own. And folks are talking. But but I, when I did the National Urban League, State of Black America, they were talking about gentrification. And I literally said, Mark, I said, I'm tired of talking about this year. I said, when we come back next year, National Urban League should create a multi-million dollar fund to go into our neighborhoods and buy up properties. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 that, and that, to me, is how churches should also be leveraging their resources uh, to understand that let's not let uh, become isolated and other folks buying stuff up in our neighborhoods. Yeah. We can control uh, the land and everything that where we live. We can mm-hmm. control our dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and the way life is rolling now, we have enough black entrepreneurs who can use the land for profitable uh, means in our communities. And so it is necessary for us to remember that we have people that we need to be developing, cultivating, to use the properties that we have in this community to ensure that our communities thrive. And uh, we can do that, and we must do that if we're going to continue to maintain what is our community. Uh, last question for yeah. you. COVID has absolutely changed yeah. uh, how churches uh, uh, are now doing business. Yeah. It's forced a whole lot of folk who are yeah. fighting technology to now accept it. <laughs> yeah. uh, even so, now with the CDC mask guidelines, with places opening up, how uh, how how is that changing uh, how y'all do church? Uh, are you letting folks know we can't go back the way it used to be? So, so yeah. h- h- what is happening uh, with, with, with Willow Avenue and how y'all are progressing now with yeah. COVID? That people being vaccinated and people all of a sudden opening cities back yeah. up. So we, like most churches, have not been together uh, since March of 2020. We've not been able to congregate. We did a special outdoor service for Easter Resurrection Sunday, but we've not been able to congregate in our own property, in our own facility. Uh, but because, and so we've had to adjust. We've had to accommodate this new reality. Uh, I call it, I've been calling it a new abnormal, uh, but it is not our new norm. If we're going to be able to create a new normal that should build on what we've had to and what we've endured and experienced over these last several months, this past year. So it's interesting that you would say that. I said to our church just this weekend, uh, listen, we got to make sure that we understand there's certain things we can't go back to. It's not possible for us to go back to the way we've always been because we've been called from it and we know we can operate on another level. We can operate on a new experience, a new paradigm, and the trajectory of the church should be moving forward as we utilize all the technology and all that we've had to learn uh, since March of last year. I talked to some pastors 
and they've had an explosion in membership yep. because folks have been watching and yep. an increase yep. in giving. Absolutely. We've not been a, we've not we can't say we've struggled over this year. We've we've done very well as a congregation. We've had people joining and the unique week thing is we now call them wheeler wherever. So we have people joining from other states, even from other, other countries. Wow. And we're just including them in the family. It's a church that is now a technologically savvy church that allows us to uh, uh, um, to appro- appreciate membership from everywhere. Uh, yeah. and, and so tell, tell me about this expansion. I'm going to roll a video again. Yeah. Tell me about this expansion uh, and what it's going to allow you to do uh, yeah. in the community. So many years ago, we recognized that our church was growing. It was growing fairly exponentially and fairly quickly. And so what we decided was we needed to have a space uh, where we could properly accommodate everybody. We've been doing four services for over 10 years, and we knew that, that wasn't, that wasn't so something we could do. folks who are watching, you're yeah. all about to see. So what was in the front there is what was built with new. Yeah. What you're about to see on top, where that that's that cross right there, that was yeah, that was the previous building. that yeah. was the previous yeah. uh, worship said. center. Uh, but yep. you also were limited because you have a school as well. Right, right, right. And so our school helps to develop the minds of our children. We um, have the Wheeler Avenue Christian Academy, and uh, we want to expand that even more. We want to make sure that we can take children from the cradle to college. And so we've got a lot of things that we're trying to do over these next several years while I'm trying to serve the church. And uh, we want to make sure that we can develop the minds of children and young people as they're becoming uh, what they're supposed to become. So we've got a lot of work to do, and we're going to try to use this property to do that and uh, make sure that whatever people need in our community they know that we have they have access to it at wheeler avenue we've always been the community church we've tried to be at least and that's our plan going forward as well all right frat it's always yeah, man. good to see it's you man see you, keep man. handling your business you here, i certainly appreciate it thank it's you so very pleasure. much good to be with you absolutely tell uh pastor lawson i said what's you up you know i will all right folks gotta go to a real quick break when we come back i'm gonna talk to the sister y'all have heard her she's played drums for prince she plays drums for beyonce She's next right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. In 1955 is the first time in a very violent civilization, Western civilization, any sizable group of people started to work to change by insisting we can use nonviolence power to create the change. Gandhi said that nonviolent power, the power of life, is the greatest and most creative force power of the universe. And that if we human beings turn away from conventional wisdom towards using the gift of life, which is ours at birth, we would be surprised what the future of the human race will look like. Carl Payne pretended to be Roland Martin. Holla! Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett. Yo, it's your man Dion Cole from Blackish, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Stay woke. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett. This is the uh, Alfredo, smoked turkey leg, Alfredo, dirty rice, parmesan, shrimp. Girl, I'm just trying to say, this is, this is good, y'all. I'm just trying to tell y'all, I'm, I know I'm on. I'm just trying to tell y'all, uh, this is like uh, sinful good. I'm just trying to tell y'all, okay. 
So my next guest, as I said, y'all heard her. Mama, dad, mama said, don't talk with your food in your mouth, but I ain't got no choice. So my next guest, y'all heard her. You might have seen her. She ain't, on the, she ain't front stage, but if anybody understands music, you can't keep the beat without the drummer. Uh, she has played for Prince, played for Beyonce. Queen Cora Coleman joins us. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? I'm amazing. I'm amazing, you know, in the hometown. Of course, of course. <laughs> folks, the folks don't realize that. You from the H-Town? I'm from, from the H. H. Cashmere Valedictorian, you know, the okay. near middle school. Y'all see her flex in Cashmere Valedictorian, <laughs> you know. She I got to represent all the way, Roland. She just say what she went to school. She's like, yeah, Cashmere Valedictorian. Just want to let y'all know that. It's only she one, like, you know. She's like, we want to let y'all know that. We want to let y'all know that. <laughs> so it's all good? It's all good. Talk, let's talk about, I was just talking to Pastor uh, Cosby. Uh, yeah. COVID, I mean, COVID has been a beast. Yeah. Uh, for musicians, because haven't been, haven't you ever had concerts? Folks? Yeah. So uh, how's how's your life been the last, you know, 12, 14 months? It's interesting. I am also a businesswoman beyond the drums. So I own a construction company here in mm. Houston, and I take shipping containers. I make offices and houses. So in that realm, in that industry, I've been active. Um, I have an orchestra, so it's given me time to do original compositions. And I mean, I did him. I did the Billboard Awards with Invogue. So I've I've still been, show, you know, gigging. We did the Urban One Honor yep, Award. Yep, so yep. that airs Sunday. So I'm still moving about the cabin. I'm still traveling. I'm not doing international travel as extensively as I normally would. Right. But um, I mean, the industry is definitely impacted. But I've been able to stay, stay uh, active. You know. T talk about. Um being, uh, and I said that earlier when I talked about, and people think I'm joking, but I'm not. Yeah. The reality is, uh, in, in music, uh, the drummer uh, is the key uh, to the band. Yeah. Uh, James Brown talked about yes, that. Yes, Hell, James Brown had two drummers. Yes. I mean, yes. You, 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 you know you bad <laughs> when you got two drummers. Yes. You know, you're like, no, no, I ain't got one. I got right. two. Just in case. You know, that, and, 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 and so talk about uh, that, you know, your your involvement in music and also and, and playing for so many different artists uh, and, and and what all of that means and what it entails. Uh, just share, just speak to that. It's definitely discipline, you know, to understand a genre and understand an artist and embrace what they're hearing and not just, you know, Insert myself exclusively. And see, for y'all who are watching, everybody keeps seeing Prince, but that's her in the right corner. See, yeah. again, though, yeah. so she, she handled the business. Because y'all got to stand. When it, I, I, I interrupted. When, when, yeah, come when, on. when that was going on, when, when that was going on, y'all, uh, the Super Bowl was going on, uh, and they showed course, just, right. just hair just flopping. You know, in the rain yeah. and all this sort of stuff. I'm sending a text. Go ahead and get it, Corn. Go ahead and right. get it. I'm like, she, yeah. she going to look at it when she get off stage. Right, right. And what's cool is I, I actually make Super Bowl history because I did the Super Bowl with Beyonce in 2013. Wow. So that's top 10 Super Bowl halftime shows. Yeah. Been able to grace the stage. Different artists, different music, different way they hear music so to be able to adjust you know i, I have a classical background i play jazz i play with maceo parker mm. on his two of his albums and you know so it's being able to hear it and adjust and read music i read music you well know. i gotta ask you <laughs> 
Which halftime show was better? Uh, Roland. I must say, I can't say better, but I'll say Prince, seven people. Which was more iconic? I'm going to say Prince. And okay. I'm, I'm going to say because he could choose anybody in the world. And there were seven of us on the stage, and I got to be the one of the seven in the world. His first Super Bowl, his largest audience, of course, mine. So I would say for that reason. Well, you know, I, I will also say I, I love the Beyonce halftime show. Yeah. Prince had the fam you band. Yes. It was in the rain. Yes, all of that. Then he dropped purple rain. <laughs> of course. I mean, so it was, it was, it was so. It was a whole lot of other stuff. Totally. That was happening. I think that adds to totally uh, the greatness and of that. I say this because you know I'm an HBCU alum. I'm a Howard alum. So to be on the 50 yard line, and you know, you dream. You say, man, in college, I want to sign up. Some someday my autograph will matter. All of that. So to sit on the 50 yard line see the band, be a part of that experience, and then say, wow, this is full circle. This is amazing. Now, were you, now, were you also part of uh, the homecoming with Beyonce? Not homecoming, but I did uh, 13, 2013, Mrs. Carter tour, um, all of that. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So, okay, so, so how does it work? Do artists just say, yo, Cora, I want you to, uh, I want you to play with me? Uh, or do, 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 do they make you try out? Do you got to send a tape? I mean, how, how does it work? So for me, I won the guitarist and the drum off. So I, I've won a Jeep in a drum competition, you know, and I have just had a reputation. Prince came to hear me and said, let me give you a drum set, whatever you want. I was playing with Frank McCone in L.A. Um, after that, I played with Prince for five and a half years and then just decided to take a step back and then got a call. Hey, B wants to know if you're interested. That. Three years, band leader. Of course, I do the Black Girls Rock Awards, so that I play with Jill and Erica, India, you know, the list. And so now it's just reputation. Right. You know? So basically what you're saying is, <laughs> no, I don't try out. You could, I've fact, never I, I auditioned. Remember, I remember uh, uh, Robert Glazer, uh, yeah. that, that, that happened. I think uh, with Lauren Hill supposed to hit him up and ask him. And he was like, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't try out. Right. I, 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 he was like, I ain't trying to. I don't try out. I've never auditioned. <laughs> I'm, I play with Pink. I mean, it's just been my reputation has preceded me. Is there any particular musical genre that 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 is your absolute favorite? Because again, as a drummer, mm. you I mean you just said it. Whether it's R and B, whether it's pop, whether it's jazz. I mean, you played uh, with all types types of artists. Sure. Well. I mean, what feels good in the soul is the funk. I can't right. go wrong with the funk. But I have an orchestra, so I hear classical, and I played mallet, percussion, and timpani, marimba. So there's, there's that, too, which is, is, is African-centered, too, you know? So let's talk but, about the Queen Cora Orchestra. Uh, Henry, go to my iPad, please. Uh, this is uh, you're going to be performing um, here. Uh, first of all, uh, Fresno, Texas, that's actually suburban yeah. Houston, not far at all. You and Shantae Moore uh, yeah. and some other artists. So, 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 now, is this your first post-COVID show, or no? I've done I've done some other shows, but this is actually my first international music and art festival. So I'm producing. I'm putting this whole festival on. Oh, the whole festival. Yeah. Oh, all right. So it's a two-day festival. Okay. Seven pavilions: film, art, music, business. I mean. We're going to have horseback riding, bull wow. riding, all sorts of things. Family event, community event. 
and Shantae will be here. Mumu Fresh will be here. It's a whole. So you're doing around July 3rd and 4th. Yeah. And and normally around that time, folks are at Essence. Yes. And so, do you plan to keep it around that date, or do you plan to, um, let's say when that comes back, mm-hmm. let's say shift it to another weekend? I shift it to another weekend. Got it. But because Essence isn't. Only reason I'm asking. Yeah, because, come on. You know, so I can because I'm always at Essence. Listen. But I'm trying to figure how I can. I need go, you to I can come through. Bu- See, I, I know, need you I to come through. This is an official invitation. That's why I was asking to my homeboy Roland Martin. To come through the International Royal Music and Art Festival. Okay. So, I'll change the date when they come back. Th- okay, I got <laughs> come you. Back I around. got you. Uh, so, you're going to have pavilions. You're going to have health. I'm yeah. just reading the whole deal here. Yeah, come on. And I do, first of all, I have not ridden a horse in years, and I've been, uh, uh, I, I, I got to do that. Uh, <laughs> and I love I love horseback riding. I just haven't had enough time to do yeah. it. But, but what made you want to do this festival? Because we need it. The industry needs it. We need yep. an outlet. The community needs to safely come out. It's a 32-acre ranch. Black on ranch. Oh, you and like, we need to be so able love, to. We got space. We got space. And people just want to feel comfortable. Got it. And that's what this is about. People need so to feel comfortable. So socially distance. Absolutely. Uh, a whole creation. Okay, cool. Absolutely, yeah. So when the artists come in, including you, there's a donkey-drawn carriage that'll bring you around to the main, to the main stage. You know, we're, and we're going to practice that. We're going to support okay. and re- respect that so people can feel safe. Right. And be healthy and then have a good time. You know? All right. Well, sounds good. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm glad you ain't changed your number. I hit up like, uh, <laughs> Corey, this still, this still you? And then she's like, who I'm this? <laughs> I, I'm like, well, damn, I, ho- I, I hope this still Corey. So you number. send the photo. I was like, ah. Right. I, I, I sent the photo. I was kind of like, all right, damn. I'm like, this still you? I'm like, you didn't like download your, your numbers right? I, I got another I was, iPhone. I thought I was going to send her a DM on Twitter, Instagram, like, hey, <laughs> right. you changed your number. Uh, <laughs> well, I appreciate Hilarious. it. My it's, pleasure. It's, it's always good to see you. Normally, I'm Definitely. seeing you backstage. Yeah, yeah. It's always a real quick, hey, yeah. uh, so opportunity to sit and chat. Uh, I still appreciate it. it. So uh, you're looking good. Thank you. Eclectic. We, Thank we got you. We got the earrings. You know. You know and got to represent. You know. And let me tell y'all, she, <laughs> she like me, she went down with the content. Y- y'all might be thinking, no, that's not like a pocket square. Nut. She got, got a microphone because she got a photographer <laughs> over here uh, who's shooting her stuff as well. You know, so. I'm an archivist. I got I'm you. I'm an archivist. I, I understand. You look, I'm all about, I'm all about uh, content. Yeah, so, I know you are. So, you know, I look, I, I feel you. The king. Hey, we just do what we do. <laughs> hey, y'all, uh, go awesome. ahead and take another shot. July 3rd through 4th, uh, again, uh, Queen Cora's, um, the International Royal Music and Art Festival taking place in Fresno, Texas. Yeah. Uh, for more information, go to www.theroyalfestival.com. I appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Thank you, darling. All Peace. right. Folks, that is it for us. Uh, we are here at the Turkey Leg Hut. Man, I am always glad to be home to see my Pete, my brother, uh, my niece, his wife. They're in there. I got friends in there. Uh, I'm about to go finish off this food because uh, this is this is too good. Uh, Anthony, go ahead and take a shot of this. Um, get this, y'all. Uh, that, look, the smoked turkey legs here are just, just again, just straight sinful. Uh, so y'all come to H-Town, definitely come on by uh, to see Lynn and the kid. They're doing a great job here. Uh, and, again, folks, we want to thank all of y'all. We want to thank y'all for supporting what we do. Uh, we have been here since Wednesday. We were covering the Pamela Turner Rally in Baytown, Texas, uh, with Attorney Ben Crump, Until Freedom, Attorney Monique Presley, and others. And so, uh, folks, we appreciate it. Uh, man, y'all, uh, I want to give a shout-out to my Jack Yates High School. We did the scholarship on Wednesday uh, to a couple of the students that are there. So, Principal Guillory. Uh, Superintendent Lathan, uh, thank you so much as well. So I always got to represent uh, JY here in the tray. 
Uh, and so shout out uh, to, to all of my peeps. Don't forget, y'all, Sunday, Urban One Honors. Uh, Corey playing drums in the, in the band. I'm going to be, of course, co-hosting with Erica Campbell, 9 p.m. Eastern. Y'all want to check, check that out, saluting black women. I'll be live tweeting it as well because I haven't actually seen it. All right, we shot it a little bit differently, so I'll be watching it with y'all as well. So looking forward to that. Uh, y'all, please support what we do by joining our Brina Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support the show. Allows us to be able to broadcast remotely across the country. Cash app, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. Venmo.com forward slash RM Unfiltered. PayPal.me forward slash Martin Unfiltered. Zell is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get $20,000 fans contributing. Uh, average of 50 bucks each. And so you folks have given less. Some have given more. Uh, and so please uh, do your part to make it possible. We always uh, end the show uh, every Friday. Um, uh, first of all, let me do this here. On a sad note, uh, our condolences go out to Congresswoman um, uh, Joyce Beatty. Uh, her husband uh, passed away today, uh, this morning. And so uh, our hearts go out to Otto Beatty, a former state rep there uh, in Ohio. Uh, I sent my condolences uh, to Congresswoman directly. And so we just want to say our thoughts and prayers with Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, who was the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. And so uh, certainly condolences uh, go out to her. Uh, folks, we always are uh, in the show. Uh, showing our Breen the Fuck fan club members. That's how we do it. Uh, let me shout out my man Corey Anthony. Thanks for uh, all the work we've done here. Uh, the two of us been rolling, doing what we do. Yeah, I'm live. We just roll up and just like, you know, brothers just talking. So you, you, you Right. Right. Ain't got that. Oh, well, we'll get a picture after I close the show. <laughs> y'all, that's how we go. We're going to end this thing. I'm going to see y'all on Monday. Uh, I'll be back in town. Uh, Y'all have an absolutely fabulous weekend. If you're not getting vaccinated, get your shot so we can stay safe and wear your damn mask because we ain't trying to get sick. Y'all know how I was in the show. H-Town, I love y'all. Ho! Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.
This is Ashley Iconetti from the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous podcast. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. 